Welcome to On Air with Amber Wynn, where nonprofit leaders learn to fuse passion and commitment with proven business strategies to create long-term funding, impact, and sustainability. And now, here's your host and resident philanthropist, Amber Wynn. Hey everybody, it's your girl Amber Wynn. We're back on air with Amber, resident philanthropist, all things nonprofit. Listen to me. I'm so excited to be here today. You just don't know. Ask me why. Okay, I'm gonna tell you. Last week we talked about human resources and we talked about employee classification. And that's when you were um, deciding whether or not your employees are W-2 or 1099, this week we are going to talk about mandatory taxes, benefits, if you will, Um, and we're going to dive into all things uh, taxes, is is, is all I can call it. But why am I excited about that? I know that sounds so goofy. I'm excited because (laughs) it's important for me to make sure that your nonprofit is running smoothly, smoothly. running according to whatever agency you report to, because you do, you report to the IRS, you report to um, your state, you've you've got, there's rules, there's rules. And so I'm here to make sure that you can do what you started your nonprofit to do, which is to make a difference in the community. Now, if you've got organizations shutting you down because you didn't pay this tax or you didn't do that, then you can't be in your community. So We're going to make sure you need to know all of the things that you didn't know that you needed to know. But before we dive into all of that, let's pause really quickly for a commercial. We'll be back. You're a school, a foundation, a health care provider, or an environmental group, a museum, a church, a shelter, or a community service. You're starting a nonprofit on a startup budget, and you need to get this right the first time. No mistakes no misunderstandings, and no costly do-overs. At Nonprofit Elite, we know what you need because we've been there too. Accurate information, mistake-free filings, and peace of mind assurance that your 501c3 application will be successful. This is what we do, and we are very good at it, all backed by our industry-leading guarantee and 100% IRS approval rate. But forming your nonprofit and obtaining tax-exempt status is just the beginning. Once you're up and running, Nonprofit Elite will consolidate the bulk of your operations into one place, including your accounting, compliance, website, fundraising, and more. We do the work of several full-time staff for just a fraction of the cost so that you can remain focused on advancing your mission. Contact Nonprofit Elite for expert preparation of your formation documents and 501c3 application and for a full range of accounting, fundraising, and administrative solutions. Hey, we're back. You're on air with Amber Wynn, and uh, we're talking about mandatory taxes. What, What are you talking about, Amber, mandatory taxes? So last episode, we talked about how to classify your employees. Nine times out of 10, most of you should have discovered that those 1099 employees or those 1099 independent contractors should be W-2 employees. It's just, it's just the nature of the beast, right? Given 
the criteria of what it is to be an employee, the majority of you really should have come to that conclusion. Well, that's not enough to say that, okay, well, we'll move them over to W-2. One of the primary reasons why you probably had them as 1099 is because you didn't want to take on the additional cost of, they call them benefits, but they're taxes, right? They are um, the federal income tax withholding, FICA, which are the Social Security and Medicare taxes, state income tax withholding, local tax withholding, which is city, county taxes, and state disability or unemployment insurance and workers' comp. That's a lot of taxes, right? And so you've been trying to avoid that by having the people who are doing the work for your organization classified as 1099. But now that they are W-2, those are the taxes that by law you are mandated to pay. And here's what I have to say about that. Those are considered business expenses. When I say that a nonprofit is a business, it's just a business with a philanthropic purpose. You are doing the work in your community, right? You're making an impact, but you are operating as a business. And as such, you are required to pay um, your taxes as a business. This is how we get, they're called entitlements, right? This is how our seniors are able to collect on their social security. We pay, we pay into that. This is how we are able to cover Medicare costs. This is how, you know, these worker comps, um, filings are, are paid off. It comes from the businesses within our community. This is how it happens. Now, as a nonprofit, you do get certain exemptions. You don't have to pay taxes on the revenue that you get. So that's a benefit. But outside of that, the IRS, the state, the county, um, they're able to continue to, to fund the city because businesses pay taxes and they use that money to then give back to, you know, to the different programs. It is what it is. It's how our society has been created. It's how we function. People benefit from that. And yes, sometimes it can be a financial burden depending on how much revenue you come in. But this is why when we were talking about, um, should you start a nonprofit? This is why I was saying it's important to do the research because if you knew all of this coming into it, you may not have, you know, taken that jump. You may have set up a donor advised fund, or you may have decided to do a giving circle there. You may have decided one of those alternatives that you could have chosen to make a difference in your community. You may have chosen one of those instead of starting a bona fide business because businesses have expenses. Right now we're talking about human resources, but later on down the road, we're going to talk about marketing. We're going to talk about accounting. We're going to talk about like, there's so many things that you have to do to run a successful business. It's not just the impact that you're making in the community. It's not just the programs that you're running. And so um, it's important for me, for those of you who are thinking about starting a nonprofit, I'm sharing all of this with you so that you can go in and make an informed decision, right? As a nonprofit business, you are an employer and you are legally obligated to withhold um, these taxes based on, on the law. You are legally, legally obligated to do this. So that's the reason why you get fined if someone says, oh, I want to file for unemployment. And they're like, well, they didn't withhold any unemployment. And then they open up the case because 
they've got to support their programs. So it benefits them to come after companies who aren't paying their fair share. So that's where we are. And I want you just to be very cognizant. It's very easy to get caught up. It's very easy for someone to report you. It's very easy for um, them to do audits, uh, in particular municipalities. They will do audits. If you have a business license or if you're registered, if you're in any system, they will do random audits just to make sure that they haven't missed out on any money. So um, it may not be that your employees report you or somebody report you. It may just be systems that they put in place to try and identify businesses who are not paying their fair share. So um, the reason why this came up is I was working with the client and, you know, the most important financial statement a nonprofit has is their annual budget. And so I'm helping them to create their accurate annual budget. And remember, a budget is the financial statement that lets a funder and a board member and you know how much it actually costs to run your organization. So they're filling out this template and, you know, under the benefits, they put a line through it. And I'm like, well, why did you put a line through it? Oh, my understanding is we don't have to offer benefits. You don't have to offer medical, dental, vision. Those are benefits, but it's mandatory that you pay, uh, the taxes, which as I mentioned before, the FICA, um, which are the social security, Medicare, um, the state workers comp. I'm like, that's, that's mandatory. And they're like, Oh, you know? Uh, yeah. So like 15.1% for that, that's what it comes up to. And you have to, you have to pay for that out of your business expenses. That's not something that typically, you know, a funder is going to want to cover. And so when we talk about diversifying your funding streams, this is why it's important. Funders are very particular about what they want to cover. This is your business. If you start your business, you need to be able to fund your business. It's not their responsibility to cover your business expenses, right? So it all ties together. But at the end of the day, um, what you need to do at this point is to check with your state. And to find out what the laws are in your state for those mandatory taxes. If you are in California, I can tell you it's the federal income tax withholding, the FICA, the state income tax withholding, the local tax withholding, disability and workers comp. It's going to be similar in most other states, but I want you to go online and check with your state and find out what are those things that you are supposed to be paying every time you, um, you do payroll because what you don't want to do is to have them find out because you will have to pay all of that back and that's going to hurt. Oh baby, that's going to hurt. So I want you to get ahead of it. And the way you do that is by checking online and finding out what the required mandatory taxes are. And that's going to put you in a good position. And that's what we always want to do. We want to put you in a good position so that your nonprofit is strong and there are no little cracks in, you know, in your infrastructure where it can just cause financial devastation. So we're going to pause right now for um, another commercial. But when we come back, you know what time it is. You get to ask Amber whatever question you have going around in your head. Ask me. Starting a new career in a new sector with unfamiliar job titles and new jargon can lead to frustration and burnout. What if you had an easy way to get up to speed to learn the key elements of successful nonprofits 
and the critical steps we should all take to maximize our impact. Introducing the Nonprofit Essentials Certificate, three short interactive courses that cover three critical areas. What makes a nonprofit a nonprofit? How nonprofits raise money? And skills needed to build a thriving career in the nonprofit sector. Interactive exercises and actionable advice from nonprofit experts help bring clarity to key concepts. And the end of the course exam tests your knowledge so you can earn a certificate and badge. And then quickly put your new knowledge into practice. The best part? The Nonprofit Essentials Certificate is 100% free. Thousands of learners have already earned their certificate, making this our most popular set of courses in Nonprofit Ready. Register at nonprofitready.org and get ready to accelerate your impact and your career. We're back. You're on air with Amber. Today, we've been talking a little bit more about um, a human resource issue, and that's mandatory taxes. If you are a nonprofit with W-2 employees, then you should be paying mandatory taxes, and it depends on your state, but typically that's going to include Social Security, Medicare, um, local tax withholding, so that's your city, county taxes, disability, unemployment, and workers' comp. These are the things that, by law, you as a business are required to pay. But right now, we are going to pause to hear from you because I'm here for you. Um, I can talk all day long. I can talk, like, nonstop. But I want to hear what is um, on your mind. So let's hear what you have to ask, Amber. Hi, Amber. This is James from Chicago. How many board members should you have on your board? Is it true you can only have one person? Hey, James from Chi-Town. Um, so this is how I'm going to answer that question. Legally, you, should, you can have just one, right? In some states, you can have just one. Um, but I'm going to tell you, you should always have at least three. Now, in the state of California, um, you are required to have a president, a treasurer, and a secretary. That is your executive board. In some states, you can have just one, but I'm going to tell you why it's important for you to have more than just one. The purpose of the board is to fundraise. The purpose of the board is to support the executive director. So if you are getting paid, you are the executive director because your board doesn't get paid. So you can have one, two, three board members and be legally fine. But the purpose of the board member is to help you and to, to help the organization grow. Uh, their primary responsibility is to fundraise, but it's also to, to set the vision for the organization and to leverage their skills and to leverage their experience to bring in resources. So if you only have one board member, that one board member is carrying all of that weight. And what's going to happen is that one board member is either not going to do it or they're going to tap out. So I always encourage founders before they even file their paperwork to become a nonprofit is to strategically and intentionally pick their board members. You'll hear me say this all the time. Don't be getting, you know, Auntie Am and Uncle Jeb. Don't be getting Mookie Pookie and Sheik and them on your board. 
because they are not going to be able to fulfill their fiduciary responsibility, which is fundraise and support the executive director. So the other thing I want to um, implore is when you have more board members, now you have a body of individuals who can then break into committees. So if you only have three people, you can't have any committees. So when we talk about a distribution of the workload, um, if you have more board members, then you can distribute that workload amongst more people. The final thing I'll say about that is one of the things that we want board members to do is to pay board dues and that's unrestricted money, meaning you can use that money to support um, your business expenses. I always try to encourage my nonprofits to use that those board dues to help pay for the executive director's salary. So let's just say, you know, your salary is 85,000 and the board dues are 2,500 or 500, whatever it is. A portion of your salary can be covered by the board. But if you only have one board member, then that's not going to help cover very much. If you only have three board members, then that's not going to help cover very much. But if you have seven, which is a very um, conservative but workable number, or 11, if you multiply 2,500 or 1,200, let's just say they gave $100 a month, 1,200 times, you know, 11, then that's a, that's a sizable chunk that can go towards your salary. So looking at it strategically, I'm going to say a good number is five, seven, but if you really want to um, leverage that unrestricted fund, 11 is, is decent. More than that, it starts to get, um, you know, unmanageable because now you've got all these personalities and you've got, you know, but the more you have, the bigger your committees are, right? Um, the reason why most people don't have large boards is because they want to control them. They want to make sure that they don't get fired. They want to make sure that, you know, and it's a lot of work as an executive director, but what you need to be doing is having relationships with these board members to make sure you're on the same page together. And that's how you control them, right? That's how you say, look, this is my vision. This is what we're thinking about in the community. And you get them on your side before you ever get to that board meeting. I know I said that was the last thing, but the very last thing I'd like to say is you always want to have an odd number of board members on your board of directors because you want to be able to break a tie. When I'm looking at organizations and they have four board members or six board members, I know that they don't know what they're doing. If you have an, an even number of board members, then you can't break a tie. And remember, your executive director should not be on your board because your executive director reports to your board, so they can't break the tie. So always, always, always make sure you have an odd number of board members um, on your board and um, look to see what your state says about requirement, but typically it's going to be three, your president, your treasurer, and your secretary. All right. So that was Ask Amber. As always, you can ask me your questions. You can send it to my social media. You can send it to an email, amber at amberwin.net. You can go on Anchor where you can do what James did and leave an audio. However you want to do it, get, get me your questions and I'll get them answered on air because I want to know what questions you have. I'm here to serve you and to make sure that you're running your operation according to, you know, industry standards. And most importantly, that you are supported, right? Okay. 
So now let's shimmy, shimmy, shimmy over to the most important, um, most gratifying part of the episode for me. And that is highlighting our nonprofits. My goodness, you guys do so much work. Half of you, more than half of you guys are self-funding your organizations, which we are going to stop, but you're doing the work because you have your love and commitment to our communities. And I applaud you for that. I applaud you and I want you to get the spotlight. I want your potential um, clients to know that you're out there, but more importantly, I want potential funders to know that you're out there. So today we're going to feature a nonprofit called Common Threads. Common Threads was founded in 2003. Hey, in Chicago, James, <laughs> uh, it was founded in 2003 in Chicago, and it was created to bring health and wellness to children, families, and communities through cooking and nutrition education. Let's take a look at Common Threads. Common Threads is impacting the lives of students and families. They make sure their families and children learn how to be healthy no matter what community they're in. Common Threads empowers families so they can make smart decisions in their kitchens, at the grocery store, and at the table. At Common Threads, the part that we play is providing these hands-on cooking classes that aim to build their confidence in the kitchen. What I like about Common Threads is that they help us learn activities to improve our health. Our curriculum gives us the opportunity to educate the whole child in a really beautiful way. We also thought of all the core content areas. Not only with you know the health and wellness, there's a science component, there's a math component, and a social studies component that you know, all ties in together. At Common Thread, we're thinking about the longer term development of the child. So in any classroom of ours that you walk into, you will see students cooking, assembling, measuring, reading recipes, and making their own healthy food. Seeing the pride and the accomplishment in their eyes, it's priceless. And it's something completely different for them. Due to COVID-19, we're seeing more families really struggle with access to healthy food. Our mission hasn't changed. We're still here working to bring families back around the dinner table. But the way in which we're doing this, that has changed. Our virtual programming takes two different formats. We're offering the classes live, led by our amazing chef instructors, and we're also offering them on demand, so you can stream them anytime, anywhere. The classes include our small bites, our master chef, parent workshops, virtual cooking classes, so we're bringing students and their caregivers together to make a meal. Learning how to cook, learning how to eat healthy, learning how to live a healthier lifestyle, that's something that's consistent and never changes. It's something that they can carry with them for the rest of their lives. Thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Thank you, Common Threads. Yeah, so if you're interested in donating um, to Common Threads, you can reach them at commonthreads.org or email them at info at commonthreads.org. So now it's time for our Mindset Minute. And it's when, you know, I pause to just share with you some of the thoughts that I'm having on the topics that we've been covering. And for the past two episodes, we've talked about human resources. We've talked about functioning as a business. And today, I just want to pause and say, now that you know. 
Now that you know that, you know, there's the expectation for you as a nonprofit to classify your employees a certain way, put things in place to do it. Now that you know that if those employees have been classified as W-2, you now are expected to pay taxes on it, put things in place so that you can do it, right? It's, it's not, and it's very common, but it's not enough for you to say, well, I can't do it right now. I, I've got to do this. And it's not, that's not how it works, right? You have decided to be a nonprofit. You have decided to step into this space. And because of that decision, um, there are responsibilities. There are rules and regulations that you must abide by. So now that you know If you are in a place where you don't have enough money to do it, then you need to pull back and figure out what you're going to do, right? Because there's nothing worse than pushing forward and hoping that, that you don't get caught. There are plenty of people who don't get caught, right? They just tug along, tug along, and let's just keep it real. The IRS isn't, um, you know, they don't have, they're not sending people out going through people's books and all that kind of stuff. It happens because of a fluke or it happens because of whatever. And I'm just saying, you don't want to be on the receiving end of it just happened. Now that you know, you want to run your business legally. You want to run your business in a way that it is beyond reproach. So for the classification, if you have determined, and you don't have to share this with anybody, you've got the checklist, you know in your heart that these 1099 um, independent contractors should be W-2 employees, but you know that you're not bringing in enough revenue to cover those mandatory taxes, then instead of having 10 tutors, you're going to have five and you're going to pay the taxes. Or um, maybe you can't afford to have any W-2. So then you create a bona fide volunteer program. And I'm not saying just have volunteers. I'm saying create a volunteer program, meaning you hire a volunteer coordinator. You pay that person, you pay those wages, you pay those taxes, and you have this person create a structured program. And a structured program may look like this. We're going to have 10 um, volunteers. They're going to um, sign a contract saying that they're going to commit for 10 weeks, which is how long the program is going to go to align with the school year. They commit to 10 weeks. You train them and the money that you save on um, paying, you put that back into your volunteer program. What does that mean? You get them really nice polos and you get them clipboards and you give them amazing, an amazing celebration at the end of the year because you've saved money, right? But you want to honor them so that they feel this sense of commitment to your program. You've trained them. You've given them, you know, a uniform. You've given them a clipboard. You've, you've invested in them. And so now they're loyal to you. And that's why they're going to consistently show up to do these trainings for the entire semester. So I just want you to think of things differently. It's not that it can't be done. It's got to be done a different way. That's all I'm saying. And for, um, you know, the mandatory taxes, if you don't have it, then the fundraisers that you are having 
allocate some of that specifically to pay for those taxes, right? Instead of expanding that program into another um, community, get the fundraising, get the revenue and put it to the side so that you can pay your taxes. That's what I'm saying. Now that you know, do better. That's all I'm saying. Because you have the opportunity. Clearly there's a need. The more that you know, the more that you grow. And then that's how you strengthen your nonprofit organization. So sometimes it's just about looking at things a little bit differently. Um, it's not that you have to shut down your organization, but maybe you have to. And maybe it's just temporary. Or maybe that's what you say to the funder. Listen, I want to do this the right way. And what I'm learning is that I need to generate more revenue for my operations. For example, I thought it was okay to hire um, these individuals as 1099. I've got to hire them at, as W-2. I don't have enough revenue to cover my operations. This is why I'm coming to you for an operational grant. Worst they can say is no, but you were honest and they know that you're trying to do the right thing. Sometimes you can use your needs as a perfect pivot for um, a request, a funding request. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up, but here's what I want you to do. If you've heard anything um, today that you think would be helpful to someone, I want you to send this to them. And if it was helpful to you, I want you to subscribe. Um, you know, I'm out here because I want to help as many people as I can. I can only do what I can do. But if you know people who are who are running nonprofits and they're struggling, or if you know someone who's thinking about starting a nonprofit, share this information with them so that they can go in and be informed with their decisions. What we don't want to do is keep having nonprofits start and stop because that doesn't help our community. So um, subscribe, share, and uh you know, make sure you leave me some comments and let me know how I'm doing. All right. So I appreciate you and all the work that you're doing. And we're going to wrap this up with what I always like to say to you. I want you to treat yourself as well as you treat your community. We'll see you next time, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Head over to www.amberwin.net slash podcast for the links and resources mentioned in today's podcast. See you next time.